spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 129th Annual Subliminal Deception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory bullshit. My name is Cody and I'm joined by my pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Uh, not doing too bad. You know, it's been a doom and gloomy week here in uh, Minnesota. It's getting kind of cold out, actually. I went for a walk earlier today. Quite chilly. My nose uh, was running from the cold weather. How is uh, Arizona? It is actually very much colder than it was a week ago. So we've actually been wearing coats out on our smoke breaks the past few days. So it's down into the like 60s when we come into work. So it's getting pretty chilly out. Damn. So we got like the same temperatures going on right now. Yeah, pretty much. It's been, well, we had a really bad storm and I guess there was some kind of front that came in. So it's been pretty brisk the past few days. I'm sure you remember this type of this time of year, especially in the Midwest where you get like the the season changes. And I swear to God, people everywhere have been sick with like everything. So I don't know. (laughs) People got colds. People got fucking the flu. They got bronchitis. They got pneumonia. They got ear infections. It's like everything just hits everybody at once. And then uh, everyone gets that initial sickness out of the way. And then yeah. you're ready for winter. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I don't really think people get that as bad here. I do still get a little bit kind of sick from the change of weather, from the from the extremely hots down to like more, you know, normal temperatures. But yeah, I don't really see it a lot with other people like I used to when I lived in the Midwest. You don't quite see as many runny noses and, you know, puffy eyes when it's still above 70 degrees during the day. So yeah, the, uh, a few people I know who got sick, um, they went to like urgent care or whatever, and the, they're just like, there is so many people in there, like it's like a, a choir of coughing in that fucking thing, so <laughs> they said there are so many people coughing in there. Yeah, there's a lot of, it's sick season around uh, the Midwest here. You know what else is weird before I change the subject? I feel like this year... It went from like hot to cold really fast and Mm. the leaves changed and fell off really fast. It just seemed really, maybe I just didn't pay attention before. It seemed like within the span of two weeks, a lot of the trees already have dumped their leaves off. So I don't know. It's very strange. Yeah, it was a little weird for us because we were still having 100 degree days into late September, early October. And then all of a sudden, just like on a dime it changed from over 100 degree days to down into the 70s. Yeah. So it, it, it was pretty quick for us too. It's fucking gnarly. But speaking of things that are hot right now, um, how did you feel Saturday night when the number two ranked Iowa Hawkeyes did battle with the Penn State Nitty, Nitty Lions? Well, I don't really think that we are... 
like as good as I would like us to be. Here's the problem. We really should have probably lost that Penn State game, but it was a great win. It was a it was an Iowa win, which means that we barely pulled it out of our asses. But yeah, it was a it was a good feeling. I kind of feel bad for their quarterback, especially their backup quarterback, who absolutely you know came into a just a horrible environment for a backup quarterback and had a lot of false starts. Um, our punter, actually MVP of the game, he buried them down in their own on their own five yard line so many times and just gave them horrible field position. But yeah, it was a good win. Uh, another team that's uh, coming to glory is your Minnesota Vikings. They oh, just yeah. beat the hapless lions on a uh, <laughs> last second field goal. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's look, we were joking about this, that the Cardinals, Arizona Cardinals are the hottest team in football right now. The only remaining undefeated team and the Vikings theoretically should have won that game if the guy makes a 37-yard field goal. Yeah. But he misses that. But then in the Lions makes the 55-yard game-clenching field goal. Uh, so I don't know. Minnesota is an enigma. And honestly, when I didn't go on my walks or whatever after work, I, I like to listen to the local Vikings podcasts, you know. Yeah. Or like is sports podcasts and it's I'm so tired of these motherfuckers constantly <laughs> contradicting themselves on what they say. They play the contradicting game so they're never in the wrong, depending on what week it is, I guess. So it'll be like say you're listening to a uh this is the best way I can describe it. Let's say you're you're listening to a Iowa Hawkeyes podcast, right? Yep. And they're saying, Man, Kurt Ferentz, you know, he needs to quit being so conservative and start throwing the ball more and whatever. And then the next game, they throw the ball a whole bunch and they throw a whole bunch of interception. He's like, man, Kurt Ferentz, he needs to focus on running the ball. And he needs like this is every fucking week with these guys. Like it, I had to turn it off today. I just said I had enough. It's just like, guys, yeah. you just <laughs> you're just picking which side of the fence you want to be on so you sound right in that moment. And I know that goes for, like, any, you know, a lot of people will do that. It's just, God, it was annoying me today. Yeah, they're playing Monday morning head coach. Yeah. What should have been done, even though they would have made the same the same mistakes or couldn't do it anyway. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, but I, I used to listen to the PFF podcast, um, mm -hmm. and that one guy was like, man, if they just put me at GM... I could make a winning team or whatever. I wish so badly someone would hire that guy just to completely fucking crush his spirit. Yeah, the Jacksonville Jaguars hire him. Then. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, Urban Meyer, I I don't know if I've ever seen a fucking shit show of a coach more than that guy. <laughs> yeah, he might be on his way out. It's hard when you get picked up to coach not good teams are, you know, He's always kind of gotten put into these good positions and now yearly on the bottom of all the rankings and just one of the worst teams in football. Well, did you hear what he did? Oh, yeah. Well, there is also that, how he didn't go back with his team and got caught with uh, some chick in a bar. Well, like a, a chick who's like a third of his age. Yeah. Like that's that. not a good, that's not a good look. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's just... Just the horrible optics of having that photo just leak everywhere, especially after your, your team picked up the loss 
and you claimed that you were going to stay back to hang out with family. And then that shit comes out. Mm, Not good. Yeah. So I actually, before we start today, I wanted to thank our newest Patreon, uh, Sawyer. He actually just became a Patreon this past weekend. He sent us a message and kind of gave us a suggestion to do a little bit of true crime. Uh, The funny thing is, while he was sending me this message, or sending us this message, I should say, I was actually working about a quarter of the way through an episode that has to deal with true crime and conspiracy. So thanks for the suggestion, but it's kind of funny because I was already like working on one and you just did one too. So collective conscious, bro. Yeah. So Cody, to start off this episode, I wanted to ask you a quick question. Who exactly is your hero? If you have one and why is he your hero? Okay. So, uh, luckily I kind of saw this question prior to us recording. So I had two minutes to think about it and there's somebody who, I've always viewed as kind of my hero or somebody that I look up to. Uh, Kirk Cousins, go on. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Uh, no, I... Ugh. Anyway, close to the same first name, uh, that was actually Kirk Cobain. I think he is somebody that I always looked up to now. A lot of people will probably wonder why him. He had an attitude and outlook on life. I, I think I always admired where it was kind of the, you know, saw through people's bullshit, I guess, if that yeah. makes sense. He saw the uh, the greed in the world. He saw when other musicians were fake. I get that he was a heroin addict, you know, and all that. But even in his early career, fought against like the Nazis in their music scene. Uh, you know, he always kind of, it might not have seemed like, but he always kind of, did the right thing. And I think certain people fucked him up, uh, AKA Courtney love. But, uh, but yeah, I think he had a good philosophy on maybe a moral ground that I always appreciated where it's just kind of like he can kind of, he always kind of saw through people's fakeness, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. I would have to say, I mean, that's a really good one. I, didn't really think about like musicians. I'm not a huge music person, so but yeah, that's a that's a good one. I'm not really sure who my hero is. I know maybe like a historical figure, you know, kind of like uh, somebody famous. There's some pretty great leaders back then, you know, Alexander uh, the Great, Cleopatra, Caesar. You know, they all had their huge flaws. But I mean, I just wanted to ask that to see kind of like who people, you know, who we look up to, who we think about when we think of the word hero. But let me start this off. All right. For many of us growing up, the best examples of heroes were the men and women that were presented in the squared circle of professional wrestling, especially the ultra faces, grapplers like Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and The Rock, just to name a few. What happens when the human being that you idolize does something so heinous that it rocks the very foundation of what you perhaps may have even centered your own personal virtues and values around and causes you to either face the fact that your idol has fallen or perhaps deny the truth absolutely and instead try to find a scapegoat to pass this pain and misery off onto. Now, for many fans, this reality came to pass as one of the greatest performers ever to grace our television screens would commit the ultimate sin. 
Today, we will be discussing the career and grisly end to one of the England greats, the Canadian crippler, Chris Benoit. Oh, yes. We all know this guy, the flying headbutt guy. Yes. Um, obviously, I pretty deep into true crime. Uh, I'm very familiar with uh, Mr. Benoit and the insane way he went about his crime. I do think, no, we're not going to spoil this, but I do think his method of murder might be one of the most unique ones I've ever heard of, honestly. Uh, or I guess I should say that for himself. Um, for himself, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the... I don't think I've ever heard of somebody besides him doing that. Um, I want to say something real quick, actually, in regards to Steve Austin. I was watching a... It was a TikTok today, and it was <laughs> Steve Austin trying what would be considered like girly drinks or whatever. And yeah. he likes some of them. And some of them, he's like, get that piss shit out of here. <laughs> it was really funny. It was actually pretty funny. But uh, yeah, you, he, uh, he actually has his own beer that he has his, uh, the guests on his podcast share when they, when he has them on. So what's his beer called? Oh shit. I forgot. It's uh it's something with his name in it. Gotcha. I, I wonder if it tastes I completely like shit. Forgot. I wonder if it tastes like shit. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's something that you have to either live in Texas to get or order special online. I think it's one of those mm. situations. Okay. All yeah. right. Professional wrestling was first introduced in the late 19th century after a split from the very popular form of actual wrestling known as the Greco-Roman style. Uh, this would become known as catch wrestling or catch as catch can wrestling and would allow for more entertaining matches. Now this event first started to add variety to the early strongman competitions would spread to various parts of the world and grow massively in popularity, adapting new styles for the art form wherever it may have traveled to. And that includes the hard hitting approach in Japan known as strong style or the methodical form centered around holds in the United Kingdom, and especially the faster-paced style in Mexico, which was centered around high-flying acrobatics, which came to be known as the lucha style. So these are kind of their types of wrestling, correct? Yeah, so it's kind of what these regions of the world are known for. So kind of like the hard-hitting, like the almost kind of like a karate style. Uh, that happens in Japan called strong style. It's, it's kind of like when you hear about, you know how, well, wrestling, obviously everyone probably can figure it out. It's, you know, it's staged. The punches aren't real in Japan with the, with the strong style. That's about as close as you can get to actually hitting someone like on a, you know, every single hit is almost like a real hit. How hard they, they touch each other. So. Jeez. Cause uh, they want to get that realism put through. I thought, I, well, at first I thought you meant like strong style as in sumo, but this was, it's different from that, right? No, this is different. This is professional wrestling. Sumo is also staged. Uh, yeah. It, you know, funny enough, my sister, hmm. uh, read, it was this book in college she told me about, and it goes into what a tortured life those poor sumo wrestlers live. Yes. Yeah. Especially, I mean, to get up to that size, to maintain it, and then how uh, their, I mean, their life kind of gets destroyed by their own weight situation. Well, I think the people who kind of 
control the matches and stuff. Very oh, mean bookers. to him. Very mean to him. Oh, okay. Yeah. Especially when the when the sumo wrestlers start off, the the veteran sumo wrestlers, the veteran performers treat them like shit. Basically, they are almost like a slave to the the more veteran wrestlers. So <sighs> yikes. Anyway. In North America, professional wrestling would grow through many highs and lows, depending on the talent in the ring and the tastes of the viewing audiences, reaching peaks and valleys throughout the 20th century, including a spike in the 50s, the centering around heel gorgeous George. Uh, there was also another really big spike in the 80s. This would become known as the golden era, with top names like Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Randy Savage, and Andre the Giant headlighting shows across the country, building in popularity, especially after the advent of cable television. But now the last spike, one that we would remember, happened in the late 1990s with the Monday Night Wars and the Attitude Era, which ended in the early 2000s and kind of went right up against what become dubbed the PG era, which was a, a large drop in popularity. So... Are you speculating this is because of what you're about to talk about? Um, yes, it does have something to do with what I'm talking about. It also has the PG era kind of also coincides with the WWE becoming a larger company. It became more of a corporate type company, uh, publicly traded. So they kind of had to tone down some of the TV 14 stuff. Okay, well... Yeah. To me, I, it also has to do with, with this, too. So, Yeah, I, obviously this cast a giant, very bad shadow over wrestling after, you know, like the whole world found out about it. The other thing I was going to say, it seems like when they switched from, you know, the WWF to WWE, it was just, I don't know, it seemed to like kill some of the, I don't know, like flavor of it, the nostalgia of it. I don't know. Seemed to really well, it hurt it. I was also going to say it didn't help that by the time that that had changed, we had both kind of, we were in our like early 20s and we had gotten out of watching it. Right. So, uh, yeah. One one quick thing here. Did you see the video that was kind of going viral uh, involving amateur or I guess a pro wrestlers, but it's like a small circuit oh, or whatever? Like an independent wrestling? Yes. Okay. Did you? No, he, I didn't. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so the video is literally <laughs> these two guys coming out. There's clearly the heels, and one guy is like teasing the little kid. He goes to the stage, and then the next guy starts teasing that same little kid, but this time he like spits on him or spits his gum at him, and then yeah. walks to the stage, and the dad of the kid starts attacking him. <laughs> I'm just like, that guy. Yeah, he got in deep shit for that. Like, I know you're supposed to be the bad guy, and that kid might have deserved it, but you can't spit your gum on him. Well, that's the problem is, so, like, the bigger organizations like AEW or WWE, if they ever interact with any of, like, the little kid fans in the crowd, it's usually somebody's kid. Like, oh. either a wrestler or a or a referee or somebody backstage, if their kid was there, they might kind of, like, incorporate them into the show. You know, the heels do something or, you know, the heel, the heel grabs their sign and rips it up. You know, it's probably somebody's kid. They do, they, uh, do a tombstone pile driver on the kid. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> get them interacting. <laughs> They're in not the supposed show. to do that shit in, in uh, with, you know, the marks in the crowd. <laughs> so that, that's not supposed to happen. Anyway. Now, Christopher Michael Benoit was born on May 21st in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, to parents Michael and Margaret Benoit. But he would actually grow up mostly in Edmonton. Now, from an early age, Chris Benoit wanted to grow up to be a professional wrestler, watching Canadian hero wrestlers Bret Hart and the Dynamite Kid as a young child. Later, he would emulate these two men's styles in the ring, even going on to train to become a professional wrestler in famous wrestling school, the Hart Dungeon. Also, wrestling for a time in Stu Hart's now-defunct wrestling organization, Stampede Wrestling, uh, based in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Now, in 1985, he would actually make his in-ring debut. He would debut as Dynamite Chris Benoit. This was an homage to his idol, the Dynamite Kid. Okay, the Dynamite Kid is Owen Hart, correct? No, the Dynamite Kid is... So he's a professional wrestler who kind of cut his teeth also in uh, Canada in Stampede Wrestling. He used to do uh, the flying headbutt also. He was kind of known oh. for his uh, his hard-hitting kind of grappling ability as well, just like Chris Benoit. The old CTE accelerator. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's kind of what it, the he flying headbutt became known as. Uh, uh, so, okay. Yeah, obviously we kind of know, but Stu Hart's little thing, Stu Hart was like, if you went to his house or whatever and trained with him, you pretty much were going to make it in professional wrestling. Am I remembering that correctly? Well, it's kind of, it's one of those weird things. It's, so it is a wrestling school. Nowadays, there's a shit ton more wrestling schools. Back then, it was kind of hard. You had to know somebody or at least know where it was at. Usually, you had to beg someone to train you. Uh, Stu Hart would train people that were coming into his wrestling organization, Stampede Wrestling. It's kind of known as one of the, it's one of the more legendary training schools. Kind of, it's a badge of honor if you graduated from this school. It's almost kind of like, like you could say it's like Ivy League of for training schools. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yep. Everyone who has ever trained there, a lot of times the announcers will always say like this person trained at the dungeon or the heart dungeon. One of those deals. Kind of like if you went to Harvard, people will say, oh, they went to Harvard, you know. Gotcha. Okay. After about a year cutting his teeth in stampede wrestling, Benoit would make the move to New Japan Pro Wrestling where he would receive further training in the New Japan Dojo before making his debut for the promotion in that same year of 1986. Now, he would first use his own name before eventually donning a mask and going by the moniker The Pegasus Kid. I feel like I kind of remember seeing him in something in that outfit. Kind of dorky. Yeah, it looked a little bit dorky. So eventually, I mean, I'm going to mention it in, in a second here. Eventually, he would lose the mask and kind of just wear like the pants and no shirt and have his face showing just like, uh, you know, just like you're kind of used to him. But yeah. I am I think that back then in Japan, if you were a Gaijin wrestler, if you were non-Japanese, then they would put a mask on you to kind of make it seem like you might not be like a foreign person. I know in Mech with uh, a lot of the Mexican wrestlers who would go over there, they had them wear masks. So people didn't know that they weren't Japanese. Okay. Okay. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. 
I don't, I'm not exactly 100% sure if that had ended by this time, but I'm pretty sure that was true, at least in like the 70s and 80s. So It seems like something that would be true. It was in New Japan that Benoit would see his first major success, having matches in the promotion against legendary Japanese wrestler Jushin Thunder Liger, battling him over the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship, eventually winning the title and losing it back to the man in 1990. Benoit would rename himself Wild Pegasus and lose the aforementioned mask, going on to have great success in the junior heavyweight division of New Japan, even winning the Best of Super Juniors Cup in both 1993 and 1995. Okay, he's moving up. Now, I want to say something here. Um, Usually when people name themselves after like, an animal of some sort they would do like maybe maybe a tiger or a lion a liger is kind of one of the ugliest fucking animals (laughs) alive not to mention once you have a liger it is uh sterile like a uh, mule so or no is that right the mule yeah the mule um I don't know. Not like yeah, ligers are a mix between a tiger and a lion. Ugly so. as shit, man. Oh my yeah. god, they're ugly. I it's kind of weird. I don't know why his name is Jushin Thunder Liger. Uh, I don't know if it's maybe a translation kind of fuck up, kind of like Donkey Kong when it translated from Japanese to English. It should have been Monkey Kong. Oh. <laughs> I suppose that makes sense why <laughs> Uh, he is a, a monkey. Yeah, I yeah. call him Donkey Kong. Interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those things. He actually Jushin Thunder Liger actually just retired recently. He had, I think it was over a like forty year career. He had some kind of huge career, but he's been wrestling mostly in Japan since WCW. Damn. All right. Yep. Well, shout out, Mister Liger. Benoit would also travel outside of Japan during his run in New Japan Pro Wrestling, having matches in Mexico and Europe, and also losing the mask in Mexico for a second time in November of 1991. This would include two short stints with World Championship Wrestling, first appearing in August of 1992 uh, and again in January of 1993, after which he would make his way back to Japan and find himself in the fledgling Philadelphia territory named Eastern Championship Wrestling. Okay, we know this still exists, right? Uh, no, it does not. ECW it became does? defunct in 2000 when WWE oh, bought them. Okay. I always remember when we were big in wrestling, it was like ECW is like the hardcore shit. They even got yes. their own video game. I don't know if anybody ever played it, but they'd get they did get their own video game. Yeah, they actually got fucked over on the sales of that video game. Uh, they didn't. I guess they got the video game out, which was a huge achievement for them. It was actually a pretty good video game, but uh, they kind of got fucked over on the numbers for that game. Gotcha. So, Here's a but, question, quick. You, I know, played wrestling games more than I did. When what? When's the last year you bought one of those games? Ooh. Um. T- 2000 and 2002 maybe oh god it, it was probably for sony playstation damn you haven't bought one since then i thought you were playing some of or the maybe, newer ones or maybe xbox i thought you played some of the new ones no not really the only one that i thought 
has had looked kind of cool was the like throwback one where they kind of have big heads and they're more cartoony. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, there's the app game. Yeah, I, I have seen that game. Well, no, it was a console game, but it was like kind of a cartoony, cartoonish. Remember the ones for Super Nintendo? Man, we used yes. to play the shit out of them. Oh, yeah. I think I rented Royal Rumble from Movies America on Super Nintendo probably 50 times. Dude, that game was sick. It had fucking Doink in it. Yeah. Oh, was that was that cool the clown? That was a clown, right? Yeah. Doink the clown. Hell yeah. Now, in between working dates for New Japan, Benoit would work for ECW beginning in 1994, with his first night being the now infamous NWA World Heavyweight Title Tournament, which saw the eventual winner, Shane Douglas, throw down the NWA title and cut the now legendary promo in which he proclaimed that the NWA was dead. He would also declare himself the Extreme Championship Wrestling World Heavyweight Champion. Uh, that night, Benoit was beaten in that tournament by eventual finalist Too Cold Scorpio. The guy's name is Too Cold Scorpio. Yes. Yeah, he was a pretty pretty big wrestler in uh, ECW. He had a little bit of a career in WWE also. He was He's kind of big. If you ever watch the Dark Side of the Ring uh, documentaries that they have on Vice, uh, it's actually, they have some pretty good ones. They also have one on Chris Benoit. So, so is, after, is, yeah. is this like a documentary series, I guess you'd call it? Yeah, they have they have interviews with the people who are kind of involved or on the outside of what happened. And they also have reenactments too, where they get actors to basically kind of, you know, play these people. So gotcha. Okay. Where can uh, you watch that? I watch it on YouTube, but you probably shouldn't. Um, it's on Vice. If you have Vice, okay. I guess. I don't well, know. I, you know what, though? Some of those news networks like Vice, just because they want people to watch it, they'll put it on YouTube for free. Yeah, that's not something that they put on there for free. It's okay. a pretty popular <laughs> show. So, <Okay. laughs> During his time in ECW, Benoit would begin using the ring name The Crippler after a botched back body drop on his opponent, Sabu. This would actually leave Sabu with a broken neck after... Chris Benoit had thrown Sabu up in the air and Sabu landed on his head during one of their matches in 1994. The Crippler moniker would follow Benoit to World Championship Wrestling, later becoming known as the Canadian Crippler. It was in WCW during 1995 that Chris Benoit would receive his biggest push to date, joining the newly reformed Four Horsemen Stable, joining forces with Ric Flair in a high-profile feud against wrestling giants Hulk Hogan and Randy Macho Man Savage. Okay, I, I, I was for a second there. I was like, I don't remember him being in WCW, but then you said the Four Horsemen, and I'm like, right, I totally forgot about that. Who are the other two in it besides Ric Ooh. Flair and him? Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Brian Pillman and uh, Chris Benoit. There was also two women who I'm about to talk about. Okay, let's hear them. Yeah, so during the feud, the horsemen teamed with the Dungeon of Doom, though the alliance would soon end with a storyline where fellow horsemen Brian Pillman would feud against the leader of the Dungeon of Doom and WCW booker Kevin Sullivan, though Pillman would actually leave the company and the angle would be taken over by Benoit in 1996, 
leading to the progression of the angle, which saw the storyline break up of Sullivan and his wife, Horseman Valet. Uh, her in-ring name was Woman. This would spark an affair beginning between she and Benoit, who was actually Kelvin, Kevin Sullivan's real-life wife, Nancy Sullivan. Okay, Kevin Sullivan, is he Kevin Nash? No, that's somebody else. No, do you remember the short guy named the Taskmaster? Kind of. From the of, Dungeon of Doom? Kind of. Did he wear a mask? He wore, like, face paint above his uh, above his eyebrows. Okay, I, I bet I know him then. Yeah, I think he was kind of really gimmicky and wasn't in it for long, right? Yes, he was very, very gimmicky. He didn't wrestle for very long after this. Uh, I'll mention why in a few few minutes, but yeah. Okay. He, he was always kind of like the leader of groups, but he was never uh, really like a main eventer. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Now, professional wrestling back then was all about protecting the business. And in order to keep up with kayfabe, Benoit and Nancy will be forced to keep up the appearance of a real relationship in and out of the ring. This would mean that the two performers would have to hold hands, eat together in public, and also share a hotel room together while out on the road, even though their storyline was not real. They weren't actually having an affair. This was just part of the booking, but they would have to maintain appearances outside of the events. I would just want everybody uh, who's sitting here and thinking, man, that's fucked up, right? Uh, that they would make them do that. If anybody has read about all the K-pop stars, <laughs> yeah, dude, they make them do all this shit. <laughs> Stuff oh, like that. Yeah. Like pretending they're, make them be single. They can only eat X, Y, and Z. Like, it's pretty hardcore. Well, that was like, uh, I remember, what was it? Britney Spears when she was dating like Justin Timberlake. She had to keep it up that she was a virgin, like throughout the entire time that they were both virgins. And it was just so that they could, you know, not spark any controversy while trying to sell all their CDs to, you know, young girls out there. Basically. Right, right. Uh, oof. Different Just time trying period. to keep up appearances. Yeah. Justin Timberlake, I don't know. He, uh, he's an interesting guy. Now, Nancy Elizabeth Talafani, born on May 17th, 1964 in Boston, Massachusetts, began her wrestling career for championship wrestling in Florida. Uh, she would actually premiere as Kevin Sullivan's valet. Uh, this meant that she was kind of a person who was almost like not really seen as a manager, but just kind of seen as a woman like walking to the ring. Someone who just came to the ring with a wrestler. Okay. Now, she would go by the name The Fallen Angel. This was because she had joined his satanic stable known as the Army of Darkness, which was an attempt to capitalize on the hot-button issue of satanic cults operating in the United States during the 1980s. This, as you well have heard of from True Crime, was known as the Satanic Panic. Yeah. Uh, true Crime fans out there, listen to... Last podcast on the left's two-part series on a gentleman by the name of Mike Warnke, uh, kind of an asshole who kind of helped start the satanic panic. Uh, very good. I, I have listened to that. That was really good. The uh, the comedian, the religious comedian. That's right? him. Yes. Yeah, that was a great episode. Uh, so in a lot of the a lot of the news kind of articles, stories that I read about. Uh, Kevin Sullivan's stable back in the 80s, they mentioned the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez. Okay. 
kind of as like the serial killer who maybe gave a little bit of like the pop culture for Satanic Panic. Uh, definitely could have been. Uh, he tried to be as edgy, indifferent as he could, as we all know now. Now, this uh, photograph here, is this? Yes. Is this them? Yes, this is his Satanic stable, the Army okay. of Darkness. So she is the one holding the snake down at the bottom there. Obviously, okay. she's the only woman in the group. Okay. But Kevin Sullivan's the guy in the middle with the X on his forehead. Ah, Okay. Look, I can say the guy on the the left, he looks satanic. <laughs> guy in the middle, he does too. Uh, she kind of does, I guess. She looks more like uh, she belongs in a like fucking twisted sister music video. But the guy on the right, I'm very confused about how he is satanic in any way. Shape he or just form. looks like he needs to take a shower. Honestly, yeah, he, I, yeah. he kind of looks like. They paid a homeless man to take a picture with him. That's what he looks like. <laughs> they found him behind the dumpster, and they're just like, "Shit! Every stable needs a four needs a third man. Get that guy. <laughs> he's out of shape as shit too, standing next to Kevin Sullivan. What is that guy's <laughs> name? Like, Do you know? I have no idea what his okay. name is. I only know uh, Kevin Sullivan and uh, Nancy and Sullivan, the okay. fallen angel. The other two are just randos. Yeah, I mean, he might even be fucking the best wrestler in the group. But I mean, this was championship wrestling in Florida. It was a it was kind of a local Florida promotion. So uh, a lot of people outside of Florida might not have even seen it. You know, it, gotcha. I think the show was syndicated, but it's one of those deals where you had to know when it was on pretty much. Gotcha. Okay. Now, after divorcing her husband, Jim Doss, in 1985, Nancy would quickly marry Sullivan, continuing to travel and work alongside her new husband really around the world, eventually finding themselves in WCW, where Nancy would use the ring name Woman and become a valet for the newly reformed stable known as the Four Horsemen, which was kind of taken, uh, like revamped. It was, a, it was a huge 80s stable, as you know, but it was revamped in the 90s WCW. This was while her husband wrestled uh, in the group, the Legion of Doom, being their leader, the Taskmaster. Also, Kevin Sullivan would work backstage as WCW's booker, uh, which basically means that he's the person who sets up the matches, sets up the finishes, and all of the storyline for the company's promotion. So he's a busy-ass motherfucker here, then. Yes. One of the things that a lot of people don't realize, Kevin Nash at one time was booker, Rick Flair at one time was Booker, Dusty Rhodes. People don't realize that a lot of times some of these wrestlers have really like a great mind for the business. And they actually do a lot of the like decision making for the storylines for what happens for the promotions. Gotcha. I mean, I guess it makes sense. They're some of them, you know, they they've been wrestlers forever. So, yes, I'm sure they know what gets crowds, you know, into it, fired up, all of that. Yeah, one of the big problems with a wrestler becoming a booker is they tend to put themselves over. They tend to like kind of give themselves the best storylines. Their best ideas for finishes go to themselves. Uh, Kevin Sullivan, really, from everything that I've read and heard about him, he wasn't really like that. If you've ever watched The Legion of Doom, he never went over. He never won. <laughs> they, they always got their asses beat. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage beat the fuck out of him. Just, you know. It's kind of like he was doing it for everyone else. So I guess a lot of people thought he was like did a pretty good job at it. So 
Okay, good on you, Chris Sol- or Calvin Sullivan. Now, as Booker, Kevin Sullivan was the one who actually wrote the storyline between himself, Chris Benoit, and Nancy. And it's been joked over the years that he had actually booked his own divorce. At the time, he forced Nancy and Chris to spend all of their time together would actually directly lead to he and Nancy splitting up in 1997 with her and Chris having a real life affair, which led to the two of them eventually getting engaged that same year. Well, maybe that's what Kevin wanted. I don't know. (laughs) Possibly. I mean, it's like, if you look, Nancy got divorced uh, back when she met Kevin Sullivan and then immediately got engaged to him. Uh, Same thing happened when she split up with Kevin Sullivan, immediately got engaged with with, uh, Chris Benoit. So it's kind of weird. She immediately, it's like she doesn't even really go through the dating period. She just kind of goes straight to being engaged. Yeah, there's... uh... Uh, some people do that. Not uh, not that unusual, I guess. But but yeah, it's uh, interesting. You know what's funny actually about that story is from all the I haven't listened to crime and sports in a while. But whenever they do wrestlers and they have a wrestler, a woman who's like his partner or whatever part of yeah. their show, they always seem to start hooking up with each other. Like in every story, so. I guess when you're in that close of proximity to each other and you're having kind of an, uh, an emotional role. I mean, even actors and actresses do this shit, too. Um, you you yeah. got fucking Angelina and Brad Pitt. That was a famous one where they just worked together and then they just kind of got together. Yeah, there's a so there was a crime and sports episode that was done on uh, WWE, WWF at the time, uh, a female wrestler named Sonny. And she's kind of well known for like kind of getting around in the locker room. Like a lot of people like talk about it. It's kind of one of her big things now that she's like past her wrestling career. Um, When she goes on shows, she talks about all the wrestlers that she's had sex with. So I know. Yeah. uh, I forgot what her her last name is stitch, but I'm not sure what her first name is, but yeah, she was a crime in sports. She was a pretty big one, but I, I feel like I vaguely remember that one. Yeah, I was thinking that might be the one that you're talking about. There was actually a really good crime in sports on Mike Tyson, uh, a three-parter that just I just got done listening to. That's actually a great one. I did see that. I should uh, take the time and listen to that bad boy. Oh, it's great. Yeah. So they actually they don't they obviously can't show it because it's a podcast, but they they have a reaction to every one of his like knockouts and just how ferocious it is. It's great. The uh, oh, James yeah. and Jimmy are basically like screaming, like, "Oh, call the <laughs> stop, stop this! Call the ambulance and shit like that." So, yeah. <laughs> now, after his time in WCW, Benoit would move up north to Vince McMahon's promotion, the then World Wrestling Federation. Also, staying together with Nancy and having a son with her in February of 2000. Uh, this was Daniel Benoit. Uh, they would also get married that same year in November. This was Nancy's third marriage and Chris's second. Uh, Chris's first marriage actually being to his ex-wife, Martina, who he had two children with, David and Megan, uh, though he would divorce Martina the same year that he got married to Nancy in 1997. Hmm. I did not uh, know that he had additional children. Yes. Yeah, he uh, his actually his son, David, was trying to become a wrestler a few years ago. 
So interesting. Okay. Do they yeah. look similar or? Yes, he actually looks quite a bit like Chris Benoit. Okay, interesting. Now, Chris and Nancy would live in their Georgia home with their son, Daniel. Uh, Chris actually at this time would maintain a full road schedule, continuing on with his wrestling career in the WWF, which would eventually, as I mentioned, turned into the WWE. This hard work in the ring would pay off greatly, as Benoit would become the world heavyweight champion and headline multiple pay-per-views, including WrestleMania 20, where he actually won that title in a triple threat match against uh, company mainstays Triple H and Shawn Michaels. All right. I, I feel like I kind of remember this. Um, the other thing I wanted to say, ask quick, Triple H, he just had a uh, really bad heart attack, didn't he? I didn't hear about that. I, I'm pretty sure I heard that or read that somewhere. Uh, just like this year, he had a heart attack and then... I got to thinking, I'm like, well, probably all the shit he's taking <laughs> is bound to happen. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't hear about that, but I do know um, he's still pretty big into fitness. But yeah, a lot of them did take uh, quite a bit of steroids. And yeah. I have no idea about him. But uh, yeah, it's kind of well known that wrestlers have heart problems, a lot of prescription drug problems and all that stuff, alcohol I and I'm pretty sure steroids are like notoriously bad for your heart. So <laughs> yeah, There's I don't that. actually think that uh, I don't actually think that Triple H drinks at all. Really? Like he's not a very big drinker. So no, nah, nah, he just looks he's definitely juicing. Well, yeah, I mean, he was a he's a pretty big guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, on Monday, June 25th, 2007, Chris had missed his scheduled Sunday pay-per-view appearance with the WWE, uh, which was actually a title match for the ECW championship against CM Punk. Uh, This was Vengeance 2007. After not receiving any advance notice for his absence, WWE officials would actually call the police in Fayetteville, Georgia, to do a health and welfare check. This would result in the police entering their home. At the time that they entered the home, they would find Nancy, Chris, and Daniel inside the home, all three deceased, with it pretty quickly being determined that Benoit had actually killed his wife and child before himself committing suicide, uh, all of which would occur over a three-day period, uh, starting on Friday and ending on Sunday. Oof, God, that's brutal. Um... Quick quick side question here. CM Punk, he still wrestles, doesn't he? He's just making a comeback, I saw, on my news feed. I think he's what? wrestling for, not WWE, he's wrestling for AEW, the other what? big one now. Why does everybody hate him? I don't think everyone hates him. Hmm. I, I feel like a lot of people talk shit about him. Well, he he did try a career in mixed martial arts. He tried to, he tried to become a UFC fighter. Yeah, maybe that's why. He did not do very well. Yeah, okay, that, now yeah. that rings a bell. Okay, all right. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, it really takes balls to get in there, but um, I think he lost in the first round in both fights. So a lot of people made fun of him <laughs> for that. But, I mean, the people who made fun of him, they wouldn't be able to do it. They wouldn't have the no, guts to No, very true. So, very yeah. true. They wouldn't even have it in them to train to fight in a UFC fight, so... Yeah, the YouTube comments, uh, they can't fight for you, can they? Yeah, exactly. The fucking computer warriors. Yeah. (laughs) 
So after the investigation, it was determined that Nancy had suffered injuries to her neck and body. This was consistent with an attacker strangling her with a cord while pressing their knee into her back. She actually also had her ankles and wrist bound. A Bible would actually be found next to her body. Their son, Daniel, was found lying on his bed. Uh, his injuries only came to his neck as if he was choked. Uh, and finally, Chris was found hanging from his lat pull-down machine, asphyxiated by the cord, hanging from the top of the rack, uh, suspended by the machine's weights. Now, actually, it's kind of weird. I did find quite a few like contradicting news articles. Some of them said that he was hanging from the lap machine, and some of them said that he was sitting down with the net with the cord kind of pulling up on his neck. So it's there's a there's a few different stories out there, but uh, pretty much it was involving his lat machine, uh, the cord for it with the handlebar taken off, tied around his neck. Now, the autopsy confirmed that Nancy would have been killed on Friday night, with their son Daniel being murdered on Saturday and Chris killing himself on Sunday. Very, uh, very strange that he waited, you know, that uh, that amount of time on there. Also, one other quick thing. I thought initially the lap machine, when he did it, he had set it up so it snapped his neck. Yeah, I didn't see anything about his neck being snapped. Uh, it said that he died from asphyxiation, like lack of oxygen. Okay. So that's everything was ever all of those reasonings in all the the articles that I read were the same of asphyxiation. Hmm. All of it, just uh, just brutal. All of it, man. Oh, definitely. So Nancy was actually found to have three different drugs in her system: hydrocodone, hydromorphone, and Xanax though it was determined that the drugs had not been forcefully given to her and that the drugs were not taken at an overdose level. Daniel also had Xanax in his system. Uh, from everything that I kind of read and read about Xanax, I don't really think it's something that a seven-year-old child would ever be prescribed. Uh, it's kind of believed that Daniel may have been purposely sedated before being suffocated. Yeah, the, the only seven-year-old who would probably be Poppin' Zannies is little peep. But yeah, uh, I don't mean to put Nancy in a box here, but it's not uncommon for wrestlers or ex-wrestlers to, you know, use drugs, prescription drugs. So I don't know if she was just doing this for pain or maybe she had her own, um, you know, what it mental her head injuries or whatever like Chris did. Uh, that I'm sure you're going to go into here. But yeah, the but Daniel having Xanax in the system, yeah, Chris almost had to have given that to him, maybe not forcefully, but to, I, I don't know, relax him while he was strangling him or something. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, it's, we don't really, all of the witnesses to this are obviously deceased. Uh, I'm not sure if Daniel was given the Xanax on Friday night when his mother was being murdered and then had it still in his system on Saturday or like, I don't know how much was in his system, like upon his death, but, Oh, I forgot to also mention too. Uh, Chris Benoit also supposedly placed a Bible next to Daniel as well. He gave a Bible. This will become a little bit more important later on in the story, but uh, Nancy and Daniel had a Bible placed next to them. Yeah. Uh, I, they I, were also wrapped up too. 
Okay. All right. I I remember the Bible thing. Yeah. I'm not exact. I mean, I have heard a little bit of true crime kind of about taking away like that you're doing it to a person that you know and love. If you like kind of cover their face while you're doing it to them. One of those situations, like dehumanizing them almost. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I'm not exactly sure if he killed them and then covered them or if he covered them. And right now, this tragedy would actually come as a huge shock, not only to the friends, family and co-workers of the Benoit family, but also the many, many fans of Chris Benoit and his wife, Nancy, most of whom couldn't believe that Chris would ever be capable of such a heinous act. Uh, this would cause many theories to crop up, attempting to explain how and why the events surrounding the death of the Benoit family occurred. A year before the tragedy occurred, in 2006, Chris Benoit had a failed drug test and was found to have two substances in his system, an anabolic steroid called nandrolone and an estrogen blocker named anastrozole. Uh, these were usually prescribed to female patients suffering from breast cancer. Well, what's the purpose of him taking them then? Just oh, an estrogen blocker would block out all the estrogen and kind of pump up your testosterone. So uh, it's it's kind of a common drug taken by bodybuilders. Gotcha. Okay. So and the, and then this helps, I guess, make you a beefy boy. So. Those drugs make sense then. Okay, thank you for answering that, Phil. <laughs> yeah. For over a decade before the 2007 Benoit family murder-suicide, Vince McMahon, CEO of Titan Sport Incorporated, the parent company of the then WWF, uh, was actually being accused of providing his wrestlers with anabolic steroids, with the U.S. government bringing charges against the CEO. Uh, even though he was found not guilty in 1994, the allegations would actually stick with the company and its performers. And it was believed that Chris Benoit may have suffered from a bout of roid rage and killed his family because of this. Okay, well, I'll say this. I'm pretty certain Vince McMahon was, in fact, giving his uh, wrestler steroids or at least... <laughs> Being heavily persuasive into taking them. Yeah, uh, he was found not guilty uh, in court for well, all so of was, this. So was OJ. Well, it was... So kind of the, the theory is he never directly gave anyone drugs or directly told anyone to take drugs. It was kind of just implied, I think is the theory. And there was plenty of people prescribing steroids to the wrestlers. Right. Uh, kind of like these little pill mills, they call them. Gotcha. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. So now this proved to be untrue, as the autopsy of Chris Benoit revealed that, and I'm going to say this really quick. So all of the news articles that I read from 2007 said that he had steroids in his system. Though later news articles claim that he didn't have any steroid anabolic steroids at all in his system at the time of his death. Uh, really, though, there wasn't any steroids. Chris was found to also have the drugs Xanax and hydrocodone in his system. Also, he had extremely elevated levels of artificial testosterone in his system. Now, I did read that this could have been a treatment for prior steroid abuse or for a low testosterone level. I, you know what, that, uh, I guess that makes sense, right? If you are abusing and forcing your body to produce massive amounts of 
testosterone, maybe you do inevitably end up with low T because of that. I don't know. I'm just speculating that that could be the uh, case. Also, I'm assuming if he had those drugs in his system, he must have probably taken those to relax himself before he killed himself. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking too. So I was kind of reading up a little bit on steroid use. Apparently what they'll do is they'll almost go through um, like schedules or cycles of steroids where they'll take a lot of steroids for a limited amount of time and then they'll stop using steroids and kind of go down, but their testosterone level will kind of crash when they do this. So if he was going through one of these cycles, he may have been taking artificial testosterone to boost up his T levels, possibly. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I don't really understand it that well, but I kind of read a little bit about it because I didn't quite understand. uh, Because I'm going to mention it in a little bit. He did have steroids in his home. But apparently, according to all of the later articles, he didn't have any antibiotic steroids in his system. Okay. Yeah. Two days after the double murder-suicide, Dr. Phil Aston of Carleton, Georgia, had his office raided. Uh, this was in connection to selling Chris Benoit anabolic steroids. Uh, Aston was found guilty of 175 counts brought against him, including illegally distributing prescription drugs. Uh, he was sentenced to 10 years in prison in May of 2009. Uh, Dr. Phil Aston had prescribed a 10-month supply of anabolic steroids to Benoit every three to four weeks uh, between May 2006 and May 2007. Jesus. All right. Yeah. Yeah, you can see why he's in a bit of trouble. Yeah, he had quite a bit of, I mean, having a 10-month supply jammed into you every three weeks, that's fucking insane. Yeah. Now, another explanation forwarded was that Chris was experiencing prolonged depression. This was due to longtime friend and fellow wrestler Eddie Guerrero dying of a heart attack in 2005. Okay. I mean, you know, uh, that's, I guess, possible, right? Um, I don't know if you, I mean, I don't want to say this, but I wouldn't assume you would kill your whole family over that. Maybe. I don't know. It's it's hard to say. Yeah, it's hard with depression. There was also a there was also a death of one of his friends. I don't know if you remember her uh, sister, Sherry. Mm, she used to come no. out with Harlem Heat. Apparently, she had just died uh, recently before this. And there's also been a lot of like diaries found after the death of his friend and kind of like some of his writings where they were seeing him spiraling. Okay, I was just, let me revise that. I could maybe see that happening, especially if he's fucked up on all these other drugs and it's making his mental state exceedingly unstable. Yeah, well, with the depression alone, um, I'm not really sure about that, but mixed in with kind of like the next theory, I could definitely see how depression could take effect. So the next and... Probably really the most realistic theory that I'm going to mention, also probably the most probable one, especially considered all that we know about head injuries in sports, stuff that we've learned over the past 10 years. Like I mentioned at the top of the episode, Chris Benoit was inspired by his childhood wrestling idols back in Canada, 
Bret Hart and the Dynamite Kid. Uh, he would actually kind of steal a lot of their move sets, including their big time moves. This was uh, Bret Hart's sharpshooter and the Dynamite Kid's diving headbutt. Mm, yeah, very. Uh, I think this is kind of what people uh, remember him for is that flying headbutt. Yeah, I mean, if you do it correctly, you really don't ever even, you barely touch the other person with your head. You're not really supposed to knock your head into their head. You're supposed to land mostly on your your stomach and your chest. It's kind of one of those deals where you try to disperse um, all of the impact into your body. Uh, but I mean, obviously, when you're jumping off and, you know, crashing down head first, you, you know, sometimes to make it look real, it kind of is real. So, right, right. Now, four days after the Benoit family tragedy, Chris Nowinski, CEO and co-founder of the Concussion Legacy Foundation, also a former professional wrestler who had had some concussion problems of his own, gave Chris's father, Michael, a phone call. Uh, He would actually tell him that he was concerned that his son may have been suffering from CTE, which stands for Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy. His foundation's research had concluded that a lot of the repeated concussions uh, were actually causing the CTE. And this was from studying the brain tissue of former professional football players who had also previously committed suicide. Right. And uh, connecting the dots here, you know, you're doing, like you said, the flying head, but uh, WWE did definitely not have any sort of concussion protocol, right? Oh, definitely not. No, it was a badge of honor back in when uh, when Chris when Chris Benoit came up. It was a badge of honor to kind of like the show must go on mentality. Like you you fight through concussions. You know, this is also kind of every single sport, every single athlete would kind of have this mentality of you know going out there injured. So are they? Is the WWE more aware of this? Yes, they are. They. Like recently, in the past few years, especially, if someone gets a, a concussion, they'll have them stay out. Kind of like a football player will stay out for the next week if they have a concussion. They'll go through certain protocols. So Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. So now, I mean, everything's kind of, they're really looking into it now. But I mean, back then, there was, he, he had a 22-year career. And think of how many concussions he had. And just never, never anything came of it. He just wrestled. He kept on. That was uh, part of Chris Nowitzki's problem. He had actually gotten a major concussion and he just kept on wrestling through it. And I think he said three weeks later, it just got worse and worse and worse. That's what caused him to retire from wrestling and start this foundation. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a nasty, nasty thing. Yeah. So I was also going to say quick, the Concussion Legacy Foundation, uh, I read its description. It's a nonprofit organization leading the fight against concussions and CTE and is dedicated to improving the lives of those impacted by concussions. So they're doing some pretty good work out there. That's a great foundation. Now, these repeated concussions occurring over an athlete's entire career leads to a form of dementia. That's not all that different from Alzheimer's. Uh, which is causing the person suffering from the syndrome to act in sometimes suicidal and maybe even homicidal ways. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's scary. Now it is thought that because of Chris Benoit's hard hitting style, 
uh, mixed with his use of the flying headbutt and willingness to work even when he was injured may have caused many severe concussions over his very long 22-year career and that this would lead to his advanced CTE, which was found by Nowinski's doctors and researchers when they examined Chris Benoit's brain after his suicide. Uh, I don't know if you're going to mention this. It wasn't it. They didn't they find he had the brain of like a fucking an 80 year old. Yeah. Ooh, that's not good. He was only 40 years old at the time of his death. Yeah. Yeah. That's some uh, serious brain damage. Definitely. And just to finish off this, like this last, uh, like probable theory. So there's also a thing where Alzheimer's patients, people suffering from dementia, along with like people suffering from CTE dementia, become very religious towards the end. So Chris Benoit, I was reading up that he wasn't extremely religious in his past, but he had started wearing a rosary and he did get kind of big into religion. Uh, this kind of goes along with him putting a Bible next to both of his loved ones uh, before he committed suicide. That's a yeah, interesting thing that happens in that scenario, huh? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. It's 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 odd that it's kind of common amongst like dementia patients. So hmm. I, I always thought it was just kind of old age. Like people as they get older, they kind of start clinging to religion a little bit more. But yeah, I guess it is something in the brain, maybe. Hmm. Interesting. And finally, this is uh, this is kind of the last one, and it's the the strangest, the least likely, I would say, also the most harmful of the Benoit uh, family slaying kind of theories out there is that Nancy's ex husband Kevin Sullivan actually had invaded the Benoit family home and murdered the three occupants inside, finally framing Chris Benoit for the murders. Uh, forced him actually to make it look like he had staged his own suicide. And this was in order to ruin Benoit's legacy and forced the world really to see that maybe their hero wasn't as great as everyone thought he was and to see Benoit for the man that Kevin Sullivan saw him as. I mean, hadn't Nancy and him been divorced for quite a while before this happened? Yes, uh, the, the date of it all is kind of part of it, too. So this theory centers around either Kevin Sullivan working alone or having his cadre of satanic cult followers. This was coming from his time with the satanic family gimmick during his days with championship wrestling in Florida. Uh, it also happened to be that 2007 was 10 years after Nancy and Kevin had gotten divorced. So people mm. who believe in this theory also kind of tie that into it. They claim that he wanted to kill the son because it was Nancy's child that she didn't have with him, that she had with Chris Benoit. Also, he wanted to kill Nancy, obviously, because she left him and Chris Benoit because Chris Benoit stole Nancy from him. So well, think about this in how ironic is it that they're blaming a satanic cult right satanic yep. cult followers when the murder scene literally has bibles on it and you just said uh chris benoit had became quite quite religious uh of the christian fashion so what a uh turn of the table there saying no 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 he is a good christian man he wouldn't do this it was the Satanists who killed him. Yeah, okay. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, they kind of also make it sound like the bodies were were sacrificed. But oh, I don't think that I've ever heard of a satanic sacrifice where they put their knee into someone's back and strangle them with a cord. That's no. It it's it's just so they kind of like the whole satanic panic thing. You know, they're trying to revive that. It's almost like they believe that Kevin Sullivan actually is a Satanist and that he actually did have a satanic cult, like a, a black mass surrounding him. Go out and kill Chris Benoit and his family. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit of a reach. Yeah. Well, also, Kevin Sullivan had the Legion of Doom kind of thing, too. So he's always kind of had this darkness, like kind of weird cult-like uh, gimmick that he went with. The only thing is, I mean, it worked for him. He got, you know, he made a lot of good money off of it, especially, you know, you kind of go with what works. It's uh, it's not really, it's just like playing a part on a soap opera. It's not really you, you know, right. it's, it's a, it's a character you play. Right. So. Exactly. Now in 2015, Kevin Sullivan actually appeared on Jim Ross's podcast, the Ross report and spoke about the conspiracy theories surrounding himself and the Benoit murders. Uh, and in talking about some of the believers of this theory, he said that, The speculation did bother me for a while, Jim, until I talked to Nancy's mother, and she said, I can't believe the people even think that, and she made me feel better. This is how people are sick and so much of idol worship. They are looking for, and I don't mean this in a bad light, but they were looking for an out because he was a great Great, great, fabulous wrestler. We'll never know what caused it, but for people to believe something like that means they believe that the earth is hollow or flat or whatever. I'm just going to say this. Sorry, Kevin. Uh, Not the greatest quote there. Just going to throw that out there. Um, Well, you got to remember he was on a podcast just kind of shooting from the hip. I get that, but couldn't he have said something as simple as, People who would believe that I'm in a satanic cult murdering people are probably the same people who believe that the fucking earth is hollow or the earth is flat, which is true because those are conspiracy theorists generally. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Even let's say even you even remotely start to believe maybe Kevin Sullivan was that bitter and he held on to that bitterness for 10 fucking years then did it the odds of that happening and Chris Benoit just happened to have a brain that was like double his own age um yeah, yeah I, I I don't know it's it's the deteriorated CTE brain and brain damage and him snapping and killing his family makes a lot more sense to me than this guy being angry for 10 years waiting 10 years to do this um yeah and somehow keeping them all hostage over three days oh yeah i mean to have a to have a group of people in a home i mean the the theory kind of centers around he had a group of satanists in the home to do these murders to commit this act to have a group of people in the home and to have police not find any evidence of anyone else in the home yeah they would have they would have found something you would have at least found Goddamn 3D Doritos chip crumbs all over the fucking... <laughs> if that was Satanist in there, you know you're finding that. Oh, yeah, definitely. In the couch cushions. Yeah. They get everywhere. Yeah, yeah exactly. And probably, like, fucking roaches everywhere, too. So, the more... I feel like 
in this time, right, uh, the conspiracy theories might have been a little bit more believable, but we have progressed a lot with our knowledge of CTE and yep. how the severe brain damage is affecting these athletes. So there's been quite a few athletes who have done shit like this since then who, you know, they found out they had goddamn CTE. So now it's kind of not that surprising. We kind of know this can happen. Yes, definitely. So I was also going to say a little bit too, um, back in 2007, like right after this happened, steroids were kind of still fresh in the mind of everybody. A lot of people were talking about steroids and roid rage. So every, like everybody thought that this was steroid related, had to be roid rage. The thing is, no one knew what CTE was back in 2007. Like this is only really in the past, what, maybe like eight years that it's become really big professional football and like the redesigning of helmets and everything that they know about CTE and kind of they're figuring out why a lot of these professional athletes seemingly, you know, go off and do horrible things later on after their career is over. So, I mean, I can see that too. You look at articles back from 2007, they mention nothing about the brain or CTE. They only mention that there's some kind of foundation that wants to analyze Chris Benoit's brain. But that's the only thing you hear about it in an article, basically sandwiched between talk of steroids and roid rage. Yeah. Yeah, that's a very valid point. I was going to say, when you were talking about the CTE, I was like, God, did they know about it in 2007? But then... I remembered it, it. It's fairly new um, because basically when the NFL started, I feel like when the NFL started getting really sued for ignoring concussions with older players. Um, yes. Yeah, that's kind of when the CTE stuff all started coming out. Now, yeah, like I said, I can vividly remember, I think it was in 2013, that guy for the Chiefs, he killed his wife and girlfriend or wife and their kid. Then he drove to the chief's facility and like made the coaches come in there and they came in and then he killed himself in front of them. So I believe he was a CTE guy as well. Um, Yeah. I've heard that story from before. Yeah. So there is They're very well aware of CTE now. Yeah. I was going to say too. So I was reading that article and they were talking about uh, wanting to study Chris Benoit's brain. They had said that they had only that they had studied. They kind of made it sound like a, a big number, but it's kind of small now. They had studied the brains of four former football players that had committed suicide. They've they've done a lot more like studying on it than that than just those four people since then. Obviously, so yeah, I think actually I've heard recently they are actually progressing with learning about methods of treatment for him, which is always, you know, what you want to hear for the yeah. uh, future, especially with something as horrible as this. So I guess that's a good positive note. Uh, this is an extremely tragedy, tragic story, but I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty cut and dry. How do you feel about it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty cut and dry. I think it's a mix of the three th- of, of all three things kind of. Uh, so it's also, I read an article that, Chris Benoit, after they did the autopsy, they kind of looked at his all-around general health. Uh, they looked at his his heart and his organs. They said that he really wasn't doing that well, like health-wise, and that he may have only lived another year. 
before he eventually passed away himself, just like his friend Eddie Guerrero had. So not exactly. I mean, no one, you know, they, they always claim that, you know, some people have 12 months to live and they have a decade that they live. But they said that a lot of like the life of a wrestler kind of went, was hard on him. And so I think it has to do with maybe the steroids and drugs mixed in with the depression and a large part has to do with the CTE and the state of his, his brain tissue. So, right. Right. Yeah. It's just a, uh, all around bad, just a bad, bad, uh, situation there. Well, tell you what, uh, our guy got his, uh, got his true crime there. We'll probably be doing a little bit more of that in the future as well. Phil, do you have any, uh, parting messages Oh, yeah. So I only really found a little bit on it. It's kind of uh, it's kind of a weird little thing. I was going to mention, too, that uh, his Wikipedia page during the murders, during this three day span, was actually changed to saying that um, basically his wife had been murdered. And this was before the bodies had been discovered. So there was kind of a theory that someone had went and changed. The thing that made this really weird was the web address actually came from where WWE headquarters is located in the same, uh, in the same city in uh, Stamford, Connecticut. So there was, Mm. there was a little bit about that, but it wasn't enough to mention. It's just kind of a a little weird one, a little Mm. odd one. So that is a very weird one. Maybe with someone with inside information started to change it. I don't know. Hard to say. Yeah. They also did say that Wikipedia basically back then there wasn't a lot of, um, there wasn't a lot of monitoring of it. So people did make weird little changes all the time. So you know what it might've been be, just a coincidence. You know, what could be an explanation for that um, because they knew what happened and uh, WWE was, what did he say? They were like celebrating his death right before they f- allegedly learned it was a murder. Maybe somebody within the company was salty, I, was mad about that. And, uh, thought trying to change the Wikipedia would get the message out that he actually was a murderer. Well, they changed, they changed the Wikipedia to say um, basically that his wife had tragically died. This was before any of the bodies were discovered when the the change happened. And I, I think you meant celebrating his life rather than celebrating his death, but well, yeah, yeah, they did. They did change their tone pretty quick after it. It was kind of realized that it was a murder suicide. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, not a good look for you, WWE. But Phil, why don't you get us out of here? So, if you like that story, uh, if you guys want to get a hold of us, you know, tell us how we did, whatever. You can get a hold of us on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail We actually just got a great letter from a former Iowan, just like ourselves. Oh, yeah. uh, her name's Julie. And though she didn't grow up kind of in the area that we did, she did go to college in Decorah at luther she you know she said that she loved hearing about how we used to work at mabe's pizza Uh, i asked her about going to luther college if she lived in the dorm with the ghost uh, that folded clothes and she didn't really know anything about it but i thought that was pretty fun (laughs) that uh uh, a fellow escapee of iowa got a hold of us so thanks for that better way to get a hold of us is probably on instagram subliminal deception podcast on ig Uh, i love hearing from everybody you know go ahead Love all the likes, all the comments, all the replies. Uh, keep them coming. Uh, Cody and I both have our own Instagram accounts. Mine is sdpodphil. Cody, you got one? 
Yeah, you can follow my personal Instagram at Cody's Above. Or if you feel like, you can follow me on TikTok at Cody's Above. Uh, last thing we ask you guys to do is to log on iTunes, leave a show five-star review. It doesn't really matter what you say as long as you, it's five stars. If you're a Spotify user, it's uh, even easier. All you got to do is hit that follow button, and it apparently boosts us up the charts, which we definitely have noticed when you guys do that. So thank you all who have taken the time to do that for us. Otherwise, uh, Phil, excellent job this week. Fascinating story. Um, never gets old every time I hear it. And hopefully those who didn't know about it have a little more clarity. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys. <laughs>